listener. I'm your host, Sally Holder. Join me each week to escape and be refreshed with stories of people who dared not to settle for the American dream. Go beyond just getting enough in life and live into a place where big dreams actually do come true. In each episode, you'll discover why internal success is better than external success. Be prepared to redefine what your best looks like in your life and free yourself from the guilt of wanting more. Okay, you guys, I think this is going to be one of my most passionate episodes. I get really excited when I start talking about women making more money because we all deserve more, right? And one of the biggest misconceptions that I find, especially female entrepreneurs, get themselves into is that they think that the problem is the price. And what I always tell entrepreneurs is the price isn't the problem. It is not why people are not shopping with you or buying from you very often. Of course, yes, there's that outlier, but 99% of the time, the price is not the problem. There are so many other different foundational things that need to be developed with your sales tactics or your understanding of how to make the offer of what you have to give to your customer in a way that makes it so much more effective and much more likely for your customer to shop from you or buy what you have, you know, your product or your service. So get ready because this episode is going to help you sell more, earn more, and just overall thrive in your business. Okay, so let's get ready to make your business even better. Okay, so if we're talking about price, what do you think of when I mention that you need to sell something that you have to price? How do you feel? Automatically? Are you stressed? Are you freaking out? Are you like the guy in that movie Airplane where he's literally pouring sweat from his forehead and he's like, oh no, I'm just fine. That is what I find most women feel like, that guy, when just the hot, sweaty mess when I mention, hey, it is now time to sell what you have, and they begin to freak out. But don't worry. After this episode, you are going to go from picturing yourself as the sweaty mess to the boss lady that you are, arms crossed, in your suit, just crushing it. Okay, so how do we begin this transformation? We start with the most important person to sell to first. Who is that? Who is the most important person to sell to first? You. You are the most important person to sell to. And why is that? Because mindset about what you have and what you have to offer to your customers is everything. You know, I love the quote that a salesman minus enthusiasm is just another clerk. And damn as if it, it is so true, right? You have got to come to grips with the fact that you have value to add to your customers. Then you can see other people as they are too, right? You have something to add to the people. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in business. 
Now, what is your value add? What is the thing that you are giving to other people, right? You have to make a decision to adopt the belief that you and your product or service are needed to do a generous act. That someone is in worse shape than you and that you have something to offer them. So what do I really mean by that? You have to decide that what you do helps other people, that they need what you have to offer, it adds value to their lives, and that it is generous of you to give what it is that you have to offer to someone else. So that has to be a deep foundational belief in your product or service, or actually it has to be a deep foundational belief in your company so that you can offer the product or service in a way that feels generous, that feels like you believe that you are going to help add value to the other person. And then all you have to do is take the other person where they said they wanted to go. It helps you turn on the light for someone else who didn't have a light to start out with. So all you are doing is figuring out the needs, dreams, and desires that other people are walking around with that are unfulfilled, and you get to say to them, hey, I'm here to help you achieve what you already wanted. The way that people get into an issue or a problem with themselves is that they believe what they have isn't needed by their customer. And that shifts them into the sweaty mess that we just described a few minutes ago, right? Because they then shift into believing that they have to, quote unquote, sell what they have to someone else. Now, the perception of selling what they have to someone else makes them believe that the other person doesn't want what they have to offer. So it puts you both at odds against one another. So there is, you know, instead you have a winner and a loser. You have people that are diametrically opposed that are at different ends of the spectrum. And that's not the case. It's not at all what you're doing. You, when you are selling your product or service, are creating a win-win relationship with your customer. You are helping them achieve what they wanted, and then by and large, you are achieving what you wanted, right? Because you are being paid the value of what your effort is worth and your knowledge, and you are helping them get where it is that they wanted to go. There are two very important things that you have to have. The first is confidence. The second is enthusiasm. So O.B. Smith's uh, quote says, confidence and enthusiasm are the greatest sales producers in any kind of economy. You know, when I'm talking with people in a workshop or doing this one-on-one with a client, I'm always saying things like, okay, do you want to do business with this woman? Hi, um... I have something that you may need. I don't know if it is something you need or not. Don't worry, no pressure. Um, I just wanted to see and ask if you could consider this product. And if you don't need it right now, it's no big deal. I can just come back later, right? Something along those lines. I mean, all of you have either engaged in one of those mistakes by saying, you know, no pressure or... 
you know, um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to bother you or things like that, which are subconscious communicators that you don't have confidence. Um, or the, you know, I'm not sure if you need this is certainly a lack of enthusiasm in whatever it is that you're attempting to sell because, you know, you're not very sure yourself if they need what you have to offer. So you can imagine instead if someone came into your you know, realm and said, hey, I am confident that I can change your life with this product. It is amazing. And I couldn't be prouder of the way that it has transformed the lives of so many other people. You know, it makes me just so excited to get out of bed in the morning and to be able to help other people, you know, achieve what it is that they want to achieve by offering, not asking, offering this product to more people. Now, which person do you want to do business with? Person one, not very confident and enthusiastic, or person two? Yes, you said two. I'm I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you said two. I know you did. If you're sitting in the car listening to this, you're yelling out person two. I know it. And I know that you are going to want to communicate in that way. So how can you do this? So there is a very easy four-step sales process that you can follow. So the first, understand your value. If you don't understand it right now, go and take a minute, pause the episode, go and write it down. If you're driving, continue driving. But take a minute and write down, what is your value? What value do you add to your customers? And take a minute to write down all of those. It doesn't have to be anything fancy and no, you know, value statement or all of those things. Yes, those are all beautiful and fine, but it can just be some very simple bullet points of here values that I add to my clients, right? I make them feel better about themselves. I help them feel more confident, more beautiful. I help them celebrate the biggest moments in their lives. And those are just a couple of the things that I know that my twin sister says about her women's clothing store. Those are values that she adds to her customers. Now, the second step is learn how to package it, right? Now, the biggest thing that you can do in packaging it is being able to understand what you offer, right? Very clearly explaining, this is what I offer. Now, what I mean by this is so often I will have customers that will say to me, even people trying to sell me things, and I'm sure that if you have been in this experience with me, or you are a friend of mine, you have had this happen where I'm like, oh, goodness gracious, let me help you sell me a little bit better. (laughs) Because I say, now be confident in what it is that you have to offer, right? So you understand the value, and then the way that you package it is how you tell me that you offer it. Now, Do you offer it by being less confident and enthusiastic by saying, I can do anything that you want? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, You know, I can do all kinds of different things, right? No, you learn how to package it by offering very specifically the value that, that you add to your customers and in the way that it suits you and your business. So you say something like, I am a podcast production person that owns their own podcast production company. I help female entrepreneurs 
um, produce their podcasts and turn around an episode within a week. And I do this with 10 entrepreneurs and podcasters at a time. That is how you offer it because you say what works for you and you have packaged it in a way that is your particular offer. Now, the third is that you sell it. Now, how do you sell it? Now, we're going to break that down a little bit further. There is a five-step process to sell it. The first is you've got to know your audience. The second is you've got to prepare for your pitch. The third, you actually pitch the client. The fourth is that you close the deal. And the fifth is that you serve the client. So I know that the f- these five steps can seem somewhat overwhelming, but they're likely part of your business processes already, but you haven't maybe thus far considered it part of your sales process. I just want to expand the way that you consider sales not to be just that one-time icky thing that you do and let you really expand the way that you look at sales, which is just really your overarching um service of your client as a whole. That is your sales process. Because as we've said before, people do business with they with other people that they know, like, and trust. And so the way that you're developing further that know, like, and trust factor is through that overarching sales process. So let's look at the first part of it. You have to know your audience. So who is your customer? If you haven't taken the time Spend a little time investigating this. Who is already a customer? Make a list. Who do you want to reach? And where are those customers? Do the research to figure that out. You know, where do they do business already? Who are they already associated with? Where do they attend events? Where are they hanging out most often? And get to know the ins and outs of the customer that you want to do business with. And then look at who are your competitors? Who do they fail to serve that you serve? You know, very often I can easily determine who a customer should be by looking at a timeline of who their competitors are serving and being able to see where this white space is in the market to say, wow, look, your competitors are serving people at the high end and your competitors are serving people at the low end, but none of your competitors are serving people in the middle. Or maybe the middle is extremely crowded and the high end of the market and the low end of the market are not being serviced. But you are not going to know you know, very clearly who your customer is and who is not being served well either by you or your competitors if you haven't identified who your customer already is and who else you want to be doing business with. So take a look at those and make sure you understand that very clearly. And then, you know, when you're researching your audience or you're trying to, you know, let's say you're just getting started and you want to understand you know, who you want to do business with and you're defining your customer a little more clearly, I always follow this acronym and that is FRANK. Making a list of friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and kids or career. It just works well. 
So if you want to change it to Franck, be my guest. So friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, kids, and career. This is a great way for you to, when you're starting out, or if you're at a time in your business where you need to re-energize your audience and reconnect with your base or you know, you want to develop another um, realm of customers, then go through this particular exercise and make a list of everyone you know that falls into each of those categories. And remember, when I'm saying that, you know, neighbors is on this list, I want you to think about who were your neighbors when you were kids? Who were your neighbors in college? Who were your neighbors when you lived, you know, that first crappy little house out of college? Every single one of them. Who were your parents' neighbors? Who were your aunt's neighbors? Who were your twin sister's neighbors? All of them go on the list. And why is that? No, that is not because you are going to immediately become their stalker and do business with them right away. It is because you need the confidence of realizing you know a lot more people than you are giving yourself credit for today. And that you have a ton of people in your realm that want what you have to offer. And they do. There are so many more people out there. And yet, when we skip this step of getting to know who our customer is and researching our audience, we tend to follow whatever shiny penny of a customer that we have at the moment when they stop doing business with us or they no longer need our services. We look around and we say, oh my gosh, I'm going to go out of business because I know no one. And that's just a feeling. That's not actually a fact. The fact is by the age of 26, on average, you have about 750 acquaintances. So you have a lot of people that you know and the process of beginning that, you know, sales process starts every single time going back to knowing your audience and beginning there. So another thing that I hear from a lot of people is that, okay, well, yes, I can make a big list of who my audience is, but, you know, I like the idea of just being able to serve everyone. I want to be able to say, you know, no, I'm a podcaster that, you know, is for every single person out there, you know, and while that sounds great at the outset, let me tell you how that does not serve you. Imagine yourself at a cocktail party, and when was the last time someone said, hey, I need someone that does just a little bit of everything, right? I need someone that does like some home repairs, some podcasting, you know, also some video editing. No, people don't talk like that. What they say are things like, I need the best video editor that exists out there because I have a new business launching and I want to be able to use video with the launch of the business. Who do you know? Now, who are you going to think of immediately? You're going to think of the one person that does only video editing and does it really, really well. So that means that you don't want to be a shotgun type of service, meaning that you want to define your audience right? You want to know who that audience is and be everything for them and you will sell more. Now, Seth Godin calls it the smallest viable audience. So if you were to think of yourself and you were to pick up a handful of pebbles and you were to throw it into a lake, yes, 
that would make some ripple effects, right? I mean, you would see little tiny ripples everywhere, but not a huge amount. But what if you were to take a giant rock and throw it into the lake? It would have a huge ripple effect that would last a lot longer and travel much further. Your business runs the exact same way. It means that when you narrow your audience and you throw a big rock at that one small viable audience that wants what you have, then they will become huge fans of yours, raving fans in fact, and will go and tell other people about you and it will travel, word will travel twice as fast as it would if you had tried to be a little something for everyone. In fact, Seth Godin says that if you attempt to be for everyone, you stand for no one. And that is so true. Again, when was the last time you referred a generalist out to anyone? You don't. You refer the expert. So be willing to narrow your audience down to a small amount. And I get it. You're freaking out right now. I mean, I was that same entrepreneur at the beginning and of my business, like, oh my God, do I want to say I only work with women? And, you know, that I was scared about just cutting it down to 50% of the population, let alone saying, oh gosh, I work with female entrepreneurs who are feeling frustrated about the state of their business and want to increase their revenue or people who are in the corporate world wanting to make a transition to the entrepreneurial world, that's pretty specific. And I was scared to death to say that, but it certainly has been the far better way to get the message out of exactly what it is that I do. At the beginning, when I was very casually saying, oh, I am a business coach, I'll work with anyone, you just let them know, no one could identify that with that. There's no one out there saying, oh, yes, I am that person. I'm, I'm anyone. Yes, that's me. I'm just anybody. No, I want someone who connects and with me specifically in order to be the person that services my needs. So I have a great example of a company that did this really well, and their name is Penguin Magic. So I'm sure you are thinking, what in the world is Penguin Magic? They are a company that services only amateur magicians. I would challenge you to think about how many amateur magicians you know in your life right now. I've actually done this quite a few times now and talked to other friends. I've yet to come across someone who has said yes. I have a great friend in my life, family member, that is an amateur magician. So there are not a lot out there. But Penguin Magic does not service the professional magician, only the amateur. Do you know why? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Penguin Magic discovered that the amateur magicians need frequent changes in their magic tricks because they are typically doing magic tricks in front of the same groups of people. Whereas professional magicians are doing magic tricks in front of all different kinds of people all the time because their audiences change all the time. But 
friends and family are seeing the same magic tricks. So these amateur magicians needed a place to go to get consistent changes in their magic tricks. And this company decided we're going to only service that market. Now, they became so popular. They needed to develop an online tool to be able to serve this membership. And then they grew into Penguin Magic Monthly, a magazine subscription that these amateur magicians can subscribe to. Now, if you had to just guess what the subscriptions were for Penguin Magic, what would you guess? I'm going to give a pause here so you can just throw a number out there. 400 is the number that my podcast producer guessed. 1 million. 1 million subscribers a month to Penguin Magic Monthly. Yes. I know your mind is blown. You're looking at me shockingly just like she is at the moment. And that is an extreme example to show you that when you follow this sales process that I'm telling you of defining your audience very clearly, step one, and narrowing them down, they will become raving fans because there was this small market of people looking for, right? Remember, they had a need And Penguin Magic filled that need for that specific group of people. So how are you going to market yourself in a narrow way so that you can serve this smallest viable audience? You are going to follow this marketing promise template. Here it is. My product is for people who believe X. I will focus on people who want X. I promise engaging with what I make will help you get X. A person who believes this and is searching for this, I promise that if you engage your time and money with us, you will get that. See, this is how you articulate that you are serving this small viable audience. You are making a marketing promise, you're following this template, and you're very clearly being so bold to eliminate and repel the people who do not need to do business with you, and you are magnetically pulling in the people who are looking for the generous act that you have to offer. So this is how you are going to engage with that smallest viable audience. Now... The myth is then, well, the price must have been the problem with mine because I've defined my audience and things are great, but I challenge you to understand that the price really isn't the problem. It was either then that you were not talking to your smallest viable audience or you weren't addressing what people actually want. Now, I'm going to tell you exactly what they want and how they want to hear it next, but let me just combat this, the price is the problem for a second. So if you've ever heard of Supreme T-shirts, then you know that they are a company that sells cotton T-shirts. Get ready to blow your mind again. 
ranging in price from $175 to, and I'm looking at one of them right now, $1,300 for a cotton t-shirt with their logo, right? $1,300 just because it says Supreme on it. Now, do you think the price is the problem there? No. What Supreme knows very, very clearly is that price is not going to stop their smallest viable audience from purchasing. It's just not going to be the issue. The issue was that, or, or would have been, if they had not narrowed themselves down to the smallest viable audience. Let's say Supreme launched and they made a t-shirt and they tried to sell it for $25. Who would they attempt to be appealing to? Everyone. Would they have been able to sell nearly as many t-shirts? No, because they would have competed with the entire bulk of the market. Nike, Umbro, you name it, Jockey. I mean, all the rest. But what they discovered is that they had a small, viable audience of people that believed what they believed and that there is a value for a t-shirt that is produced in very small quantity, that has a very specific logo on it, that is for a very small audience of, I believe, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe like the skateboarding community that they intended to first serve. Now, of course, just like the ripple effect from the lake that we talked about, now it's gone viral. Now everyone considers this to be, you know, something that they wait in line in New York for hours and hours to be able to have a chance to buy one of these extraordinarily high-priced t-shirts. But see, Supreme got it right. They knew who their audience was, and they knew that the price wasn't going to be the problem. The price could be the answer for them. And it was. So you cutting your price is never going to be the answer to reaching your audience in a more um, you know, solid, more capable way. It is rearranging your offer and the way that you give what you have to other people. So what people actually want and what they say they want tend to be two very different things. So now that you know what the audience is and that you can define your smallest viable audience, you can talk to them about what it is that they actually want so that you can offer to fill the need that, it, that they actually have. So this is how you prepare for your pitch. So you think about what the needs are of your particular customer and what they actually want. Theodore Levitt, who is the founder of marketing, said people don't want to buy a quarter-inch drill. They want a quarter-inch hole. And what he means by that and, you know, a very long description is that when someone comes to the store and says, I need a quarter-inch drill, very often what people attempt to sell them it are the the amazing qualities of the drill and how fast it is and all of the features of it. And the person standing there looking at him 
thinking I could care less about what the features are of this drill and see, this is how you become the sweaty, icky salesperson. See, you energetically feel that from them. You're looking at them feeling like, oh my God, they're not liking this. They're not wanting this. And you think there's a problem. Oh, it's price. See, this is where people typically go. But it's not. Now you know it's that you're not communicating with them about what it is that they really want. So instead of them coming to you and saying, hey, I want a quarter inch drill, try asking them, what are you going to do with the drill? Why do you want the drill? And they'll say, well, I want a quarter inch hole. Great. What are you going to put in that quarter inch hole? What is it that you need? And ultimately, the person may and not always, but may divulge to you that the reason why they want the quarter inch hole is because they want to hang a bookshelf. And the reason why they need to hang a bookshelf is because they've had books sitting on their floor ever since they moved in their home and their wife is on them about that. And they can't ever lay down and watch the football game because their wife won't stop bothering them about the books being on the ground. So what they really want is time to watch a football game. And what you're selling them are features of a drill that goes really fast and doesn't lose battery life. Now you see why the person is staring at you thinking you've lost me and I could care less and stop selling me. And it's because you weren't talking to them about what they really actually wanted. The same goes and holds true when you are attempting to sell someone a product or service that you have. So I'm constantly telling people when you're preparing for a pitch, stop trying to always come up with every single thing that you are going to be able to answer about your product or service. Instead, come up with questions that are going to intrigue the client and get them to share more about why they want to do business with you. If you want to know more about how to sell more, then you better know why your customers are buying from you. So, fundamentally, then it's not about slashing the price. It doesn't have anything to do with the issue. It's that you were selling the features or something that they didn't care about when you could have sold them 12 bits, drill bits, if you had just told him, hey, this is a faster way to get you to watch your football game, right? He probably would have bought as many as you said to purchase. Hey, get five of your friends. If you all had a drill bit in hand, you could do it in 10 minutes. The guy would be like, give me five, right? So we all know that. So the myth is that you need to spend time preparing for your pitch by tweaking your product or service or, you know, always improving, you know, that product or making sure that every little detail looks correct on your, you know, PowerPoint presentation. And yes, while those things are of value, I'm not discounting them and, you know, swinging the pendulum to zero and saying they have no value. They do. But isn't it far more valuable to sit at the conference table and say, hey, before I waste any moment of your time, because your time is incredibly valuable, let me make sure that I know what it is that your needs are, and I only address those. So let me ask you a few questions, if, if I could. And then you ask, and then you make sure that you know what the needs, wants, and desires are of that audience you came to serve. And when they answer those for you and a few of the slides on your PowerPoint presentation don't apply to them, skip them. 
You keep going. You show them that you were only there to serve their wants, needs, and desires. And if they don't fit in with those, then you're willing to not do that portion. So if you see them for who they are and what they want and that you can give that to them, your work is going to get seen. They are going to want to do business with you. They are going to value you no matter what your price is because they see you as the person that solves their needs. So just avoid the biggest mistake, and that is that you spend all of your time instead of coming up with the questions to talk to your customers about, you spend all of your time planning to sell. Too often when I'm talking to people, I realize their problem isn't their price. It's the fact that they never put themselves in front of a customer to begin with. So make the pitches, go in front of people, ask the questions, experiment, see what works and what didn't. And then, then you can get better at it. And only then. It will never make you better by preparing to plan or preparing to sell. It's the actuality of doing the thing that makes you better. Now, when you're getting ready to walk in the door for the pitch, please do me a favor and schedule your day accordingly. I can't tell you the number of times where afterwards I ask them like, okay, great, how did the pitch go? Tell me about everything. Put it all in context for me. And they say, well, oh, I was just running up into the last minute. I had just dropped my kids off. I had run in the door and I made it just barely on time, but I was there on time. I'm like, great, okay? How much time did you leave yourself to get in the right headspace before you walked into that pitch? None. None. That You cannot be the most effective person when you are not scheduling your day accordingly and setting yourself up for success. So it sounds ridiculous, but give yourself 15-minute, 20-minute buffer to be there. Pump yourself up. Sit in your car. Listen to a song that gets you in the right mood and the right mindset, the right energy. So you are not running in there, you know, thinking about the fact that your child was crying five minutes earlier and, you know, you're distracted by that. It's not going to benefit you, your business, or frankly, even your child at the end of the day because none of it is going to work out. And so... You want to make sure that you give yourself some time to have that confidence and enthusiasm because how can you have those two things in the pitch if you haven't given yourself the time to create those and cultivate those right before it? Okay, so now the pitch, the biggest mistake that you make is sitting down and leading with your pitch. You know, I mentioned that a few seconds ago, but You know, you want to engage in a little bit of small talk, be polite, but then you want to shift the focus to them immediately. You want to understand more about them. You want to use this time to do even further research, and then you want to be so prepared that you can pick out the portions of your pitch that are relevant to the needs, wants, and desires of your customer, and then address those and only those. There is nothing more frustrating than sitting through a long pitch of someone 
that didn't need to talk about the majority of the things that they discussed because it wasn't applicable to my business. Have you guys tried out 99designs.com yet? I have talked about it endlessly on my Insta stories. And it's because it makes design so easy. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I don't have a creative bone in my body. And yet, I want all of the designs that I have associated with my business to look really great and professional. But when I was starting out, I didn't have all the income to be able to spend on fancy designers. And that's where 99design comes in. Their tagline is, design makes anything possible. And I couldn't agree more. It really allows you to come across as professional and amazing as you know that you are. So what's incredible about 99designs is they give you an opportunity to hire talented designers from all over the world that really provide designs that help you grow your business. And that's really what we're all about. They can design everything for you from a logo to a website to images to support your business. And if you followed my Insta story, you saw that I received more than 36 submissions when I ran a contest for my design for email marketing. So they don't just give you one or two to choose from. You have an endless array of designs to represent your business. You get them to narrow it down to a few selections, make edits, change anything that you want, and finally land on your final design. If after that point you have a designer you love, you get to continue to work with them. And don't worry, throughout the process, you even have someone to hold your hand. It's an account manager that will email you and check in on you and ask you how things are going. So it's not a process you have to manage all by yourself. You have someone there making sure you're loving the results that you're getting. I just can't say enough things about 99designs.com. I'm so grateful that something like that exists in the marketplace to support you, the small business owner and the entrepreneur, because I want you to get your message out there in a powerful way. And I know that 99designs.com can do that for you. So make sure to check out, yes, you're listening to the podcast likely on your phone. So check out the description and there's a link right there to 99designs to be able to access the discount associated with listeners of this podcast. Or just go to the link on my Instagram at Sally Holder and make sure to use the link there to get your discount as a listener of this podcast as well. So I can't wait to hear about your experience with 99designs and see all the amazing work that they do for you too. So that feels like you're never going to be able to adequately serve my needs because, well, frankly, that's just what you subconsciously communicated, that they aren't, it's not really about my needs. It's about yours. It's about how good you look. It's about how good that, you know, you can talk about your business. And we all know that that's not what the customer cares about. They care about how well you're going to serve their needs. Now, when you close the deal, you're not going to leave that first meeting without making an offer. So make sure that you make the offer. And 
gosh, please, whatever you do, make sure that you state the offer versus asking for a favor, right? Or asking them for something, right? Most of the time I hear people say, so would you like to do business with me or do you want to make this a deal? 80% of the time, 80% of the time, the answer to a yes or no question is no, simply out of habit. So that for that reason alone is why you want to make an offer versus an ask. Because an ask generally incorporates a yes or no question. When you make an offer, it sounds much more like this. Like, it seems like we're a great fit. I think that we, we could do some great business together. I would love to, to schedule you in to do, you know, business starting next week. You know, what do you think? That is making an offer, saying to them, you know what, I would love to offer my services. I think I can really meet your needs. And based on everything that you said, I think that we can together make things happen. You know, let's get going together. What do you think? That is not a yes or no question. And you are stating what the next steps would be. And that is starting to do work together. And then finally, let's say they didn't close the deal there. After the pitch, you want to make sure that you have a process in place for following up. You know, 80% of sales are made on the 5th to 12th contact. 5th to 12th, right? In our microwave society, we think that the solution is going to come or someone's going to say yes immediately. And that's just not how it goes. In fact, only 2% of sales are made on the first contact. So when you factually know that and you know that this is a relationship business, as most are, your initial contacts are about understanding their needs, understanding more of them, and then knowing that the after the initial pitch is where the real sales part comes in. And that is by having things in place to make the after the pitch portion very easily easy for you. I use things like having draft thank you emails in my inbox. I mean, in today's day and age, you can even schedule those to be sent shortly after. You know, in Gmail, you can have that set up. Um, You know, calendar another follow-up before you leave there or calendar it in your own phone so that you have, you know, a, a date set coming up where you know you're going to reach out to them and make it an appointment on your calendar. So, no matter what, you want to make sure that you have authentically communicated that you are going to serve their needs. And what says that more than your willingness to continue to follow up after many times after making the pitch? So I know that this is a lot of information and I could talk about this subject all day long. In fact, there are a couple of things that I had to just simply skip over, but I'm passionate about the fact that we don't, as women especially, need to immediately jump to price being the problem. I want you to think about your own business and reflect back and think about whether you've been defining your audience as the smallest viable audience, whether you've been marketing to their needs and solving their problems, or whether you've been talking about what you do, right? What you do is not nearly as important as what they do, and that's the way that you service your customer, 
And I want you to think about your pitch process and whether or not you've been following, you know, this process of asking questions first and addressing only their needs or whether you've had a formulaic pitch that you've been giving each and every time you met with a client. These are just some of the things that can help you avoid what many entrepreneurs do, and that is making the assumption that their price is the problem. So I hope that this has been a helpful exercise for you to go through a different way and changing your perspective of thinking about the sales process so we don't jump to that immediate conclusion. Because you're worth the value that you add to your customers. You are worth the value that you charge because you do a generous act for them. Now all you need to do is find the people who believe what you believe and they will pay the price that you charge for your services. Thanks so much for listening to the Hitting Rock Middle podcast. I'm your host, Sally Holder. Remember that you can always find out more about me by visiting sallyholder.com. That's S-A-L-L-I-E-H-O-L-D-E-R.com. And if you want to stay in touch or get more free tips from me, make sure to join my free weekly newsletter that's filled with tips to help you achieve your greatest potential. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere where you're currently listening. And leave us a review. It really is a small thing to do that goes a long way to helping others find our show too. We'll be back next week with another empowering story of dreaming beyond the American dream. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.